Hi guys, welcome to Inbound After Hours. Today we have a special guest. We have uh, Luke Staten, and he is a performance coach and a motivational speaker. Hence, we are all drinking glasses of water today. Oh, I've been really healthy for once. Yeah. Coach. So, how's things, Luke? You okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate you right. having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming in today. So we've got loads of questions for you. The first one is, tell us a little bit about yourself and the organisations you've worked with, a little bit about your background. Okay, cool. So I think where my story usually starts for me is when I was eight years of age, so 30 years ago, um, I had the privilege to go to Wembley Stadium and I was a kid growing up on the street playing football, always wanted to be a football player. That was like the dream, the goal, the ambition. Um, and I remember this one particular opportunity I had was to go to Wembley Stadium with the primary school. And the one fear that I had at that time is I knew my parents, we had no money. So I remember it was only 15 quid, and these are the things you remember, aren't they? When you get older, you look back. I remember the letter saying, your son's invited to go to Wembley Stadium to watch England schoolboys play. And I remember seeing the 1-5, 15 <laughs> quid, thinking this will be interesting. Yeah. I must have been about, well, I think I was 8, 9 years of age at the time. So I'd take the letter home to my parents. Um, and I remember giving them the letter just like full of hope that I could go because yeah. I'd watched the FA Cup every year with my dad, watched England play, I had posters in my bedroom, that's all I dreamed about. So I give them the letter, three or four days goes by and I don't hear anything. I can remember now thinking back, the anxiety of not being able to go is your mates are bringing in the envelopes and the letters. Are you coming? Are you coming? I'm like, yeah, can I go? And, and eventually I was allowed to go. So I went into school, I gave in the envelope of 15 quid, given a letter, it was about eight weeks away from this trip. Um, and I can remember it was like a kid building up to Christmas. <laughs> it was just so exciting, the thought of going to Wembley Stadium. The other kids, it was just more of a trip. To me, it meant more than that. So we get on the bus on this particular day and, and we travel to Wembley Stadium to see England schoolboys play. And for me, this particular moment certainly transformed my mind forever. And, uh, and six words were given to me on that day, just six words. And this sounds crazy that like, I'm 38 now, so 30 years ago, my head teacher said this to me, which I still use these words today with what I work with and my own self. So we get to Wembley Stadium, we climb up the steps. And we're looking onto the pitch, and I just remember, I don't know if I've ever been to Wembley Stadium before, um, but just looking at the grass, and this sounds crazy, but just the way it was lined perfectly <laughs> yeah. straight, it was just yeah. like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And when I think about it now, it's like recreating that moment inside, I get the goosebumps, I get the excitement and the energy. And I remember just being stood at the top of the steps, just looking at the pitch, and you've got England flags everywhere, you've got people chanting, all of the school kids. And I remember all my schoolmates just whizzing past, to just sit down and just not, they were there but they weren't really there and I stood there on the step and my headmaster come beside me and he just stood there and he just looked at me and the six words that he gave to me then were just like, I believe it transformed my life forever and it took me down a path of where I am today. He just looked at me and said, in fact I want to tell you what he said to me a little bit later on, I'll leave the podcast, I'll, leave, leave it. I'll, give, you six, I'll give you the six words in a little bit longer. <laughs> So that's where it started, yeah. that's where my life really began and from that moment on I just become a different animal, I just start to, um, start to believe that I wanted to be like them guys, so when I could see them, them guys on that football pitch watching that England game, it was just, 
one day you will play here. That could be you one day. Mm. So yeah. that could be you one day. Six yeah. words, that was it. Yeah. And until that moment, I hadn't really thought about that because I was a kid growing up, I was eight. When he said that to me, I remember at that moment thinking, if somebody that I respect that much can show that belief in me, why not? Yeah. Why not? So whoever I come across them from the age of eight years of age that would tell me it wasn't possible, you couldn't do it, I, I just didn't listen because this headmaster I worship to is an amazing guy, um, Mr. Spencer, you never forget the people's name, for him to say that to me gave me that much inner belief that it was possible. And then six years later I was there, six years later I was on the pitch playing for England against Switzerland and then he's in the crowd singing the national anthem with the next school trip. And that just showed me that somebody can give you something. The greatest gift we can give is, is believing in somebody. And he gave me that at the age of eight. And it took me on to become what I wanted to do, was be a professional football player. And, and even though my career didn't go how I wanted it to, and it finished very early, them six words still take me now to do this, to do the next yeah, thing. Yeah. Because I look at things and go, why couldn't that be me? Yeah. That could be me. And I hear his words, that could be you one day. So when I see people doing things, I'm like, I could do that. So yeah, that, that's where my life, that's my earliest memory as a kid growing up. That could be you one day. And I think from there, it's just given me the tenacity to keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah. And it's led me on now to become a motivational speaker and performance coach because if he could say six words to me to transform my life, you can see I like to say a lot of words, so imagine how many words I can give to people. <laughs> well, you know what you can do in an hour. <laughs> in, in an hour, yeah. speaking as much as you can, like, it's incredible. So now I'm seeing me being able to do what he did to me across thousands of people really inspires me that what I'm saying people are listening and taking inspiration yeah. from. I, I met Luke with Paul, we went to an event that one of our clients run called uh, the Be Brilliant Club. Uh, it's for like a group of marketers to come together and talk about um, things in the marketing industry. So I, I had a chat about inbound, and Luke came on next to talk of, do his uh, performance and motivational side of it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to have a chat about today is when you get a group of marketers in a room, how different is that from a group of sportsmen or I know you've been to the NHS or whatever. How, what's the differences you'd seen there? I know me and Paul, as soon as you said stand up and do something, we're like, oh my God. But like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the introvert you get in a kind of in that sort of scenario. Yeah. But how do all your different groups change and what, what have you noticed about it? I think every group has the similar dynamics. Mm. So you've got extroverts, you've got introverts, you've got people that are comfortable to stand up and engage yeah. in a fun game got people that think this isn't for me so any group you talk to you've got yeah. the same dynamics whether it's a marketing team yeah. a, a massive organization or a sports team everybody seems to have that competitive edge so like competition and then yeah. people have got the reservations and you know looking at cultures I do most of my work in the UK yeah. so I have a reserved audience yeah. quite often <laughs> I believe if I was delivering the same kind of seminar in America. They'd be on the seats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd be cheering, they'd be jumping yeah. around. He's a bit flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in the UK, it's like, this guy's off the chain. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's crazy. And I believe, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Lord? Yeah, yeah. So when I worked with the marketers, I was thinking, these guys are going to be the kind of American mindset, yeah. full of energy. Yeah. And, and there was a lot more 
in that audience, it was a lot quicker to get people going in some audiences yeah. because I think people are kind of going, I'm a marketer, I've got to be seen to be able to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would still say it was pretty flat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like where people find it difficult to get out of their comfort zone, find yeah. it challenging. Yeah. And we, we grow up not wanting to say or do anything that's out of line because yeah. when we put our hand up at school and we get a question wrong, what does everyone do? They laugh at you. So as we get older, we hold that. So that's why when we get older, people have the fear of public speaking because they're frightened of someone laughing at them. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I used to have that same thing. So growing up as a kid, when I was achieving some 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 good stuff playing football, I weren't allowed to tell anybody because yeah. you'd be a big head. <laughs> you know, I played for England. I come home one day and I want to walk out the house with my England shirt. And my dad tells me to take it off because someone might punch me in the teeth if they see me with it on because I'd be showing off. <laughs> so I would take it off and people say, how's things going? I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm thinking, all right. Like <laughs> when we stayed in my 15 years of age and it's all right. Yeah. Kenny Dalgleish was getting my family to travel to, to Blackburn um, to sign me on a pro contract. I'm like, it's just all right. Yeah. So you grow up not wanting to celebrate your success because of the fear of people saying, who do you think you are? But then when you realise, actually, that's not the right way. It's different between arrogance mm -hmm. and, and confidence and being proud of what you do. Mm -hmm. Very often when you say to somebody, what are you great at? They don't tell you because mm -hmm. you're waiting for them to go, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if I said to you, what are you great at? People go, uh, I don't know, well, what's sound great here? I'm all you're not great at, you'll be able to say it straight away. So I think that speaking to the marketing companies yeah. there was interesting because I expected them to be a lot more outcomes and faster, yeah. but then it got me thinking that no matter who you speak to, we all have the same reservations. Because exactly. when I sit in an audience, I feel the same fears of the audience. Yeah. I've just known how to break them. I think if people understand how to conquer the fears, they'd be able to get out of comfort zone a lot quicker. It's funny what you're saying about people not being able to like not, not, it's not even bragging, is it? It's just telling it as it is, how good things are. We say this about our own marketing a lot, is we never actually say we do a good job yeah. for people, or we never, very rare, so we, we try to yeah. do this a bit more recently, but it's still uncomfortable, isn't it? Like, we're very comfortable uh, telling people how to do things and delivering great value and educational content, but when it comes to just saying, hey, we're pretty good at marketing, like, sure. yeah, we, we feel yeah. like that. Yeah, and who wants to work with someone that's pretty good? Yeah, no, no one. You know, yeah. you know, you want, you know I, I never remember a manager signing a football player because he was pretty good. No. It's because he was outstanding. Yeah. So really, you know, a marketing company, if I say to them, you know, tell me what you're about, they go, we're the best. Yeah. We believe we're the best. We work to be the best. I want to hear that because I want to connect to that. Yeah. Not, oh, we're pretty good at what we do. I'm like, well, pretty good. I don't want to be pretty no, good. I want to be brilliant. So I want to find someone brilliant. Yeah. But it's not that they're not brilliant. It's the, it's the reserved yeah. feeling of, should I say that? Because if someone's going to say, actually, you're not. Yeah. And it's yeah. that fear, I think, that people being proud of what they're achieving. Yeah. No, you look at a lot of British marketing, it is like that, isn't it? It's so reserved. But going back to the American point, you'll go on HubSpot's website and it says, we are the best mm. marketing software in the world. Because mm. that's it. That's yeah. what it says on the homepage. And times we in the States, we'll, we'll be with a group of Americans and we'll do the round room instructions. I'm up on Bishop 22. I'm Ricky from Bishop. Hi, <laughs> and it's just a break mentality. It's yeah, a culture, isn't it? Just need to change that a little bit. Because yeah. I thought when we first went to a spot over there, and everybody was, everyone, it, it freaked me out at first. Everyone was smiling, mm. and everyone's happy and asking how they're doing. Very strange. I don't even know you, and you're asking how my day was. Like, oh, this is a bit weird. 
But then the other good thing is when you got people on video, everyone was happy to come on video. No one ever said no or looked shocked that we were asking them. Everyone was comfortable talking. And when, I was like, when you come in here, do you get some sort of like PR training? Like I'm sure footballers and stuff have do that. Do you get some sort of PR? And do like, no, this is just natural. You've got such a different upbringing where yeah. it's good to tell people how well yeah. you've done and how good your company is yeah. and all of this sort of stuff. It's completely different. No, I agree with you. I mean, Let's touch on some organisations you help now or have helped in the past. Yeah. So, similar to our viewers now, marketing professionals, business owners. Who, who have you worked with lately? So one of the organisations worked with around seven years now is Ping Europe. Ping. So they're, they're a family-based business still in Phoenix, in Arizona. Yeah. Um, Family-owned, great organisational culture. It's all about the people, not the products. The people make the product. Without them, there is no product. So they've invested time, effort and money into their people to help them become high performers from a health and well-being perspective, from a motivational standpoint, to give them the best opportunity to, to be the best they can be every day of life. And their managing director for me is one of the most inspirational guys I've come across called John Clark. He's been there 22 years. And when I first met him, he said, I want to help my people and their people. So what he's saying is he wants to have an impact on 166 people that work within his organisation, but he also wants them to go home and help their wife, their daughter, their son, because he, want, he believes that if you're happy at home, you're happy with your family, you're happier at work. So the biggest cultures, the best cultures for me, organisational, don't just look at the product and look at the people behind the product. You help the people first and the product takes care of itself. And for me, that, that's really inspired me to see that a company's prepared to invest everything they can to help the people so that's one of them um, and that was really funny I think that's probably what got me into the kind of more the motivational public speaking was the managing director said to me one day he brought me in for a meeting at, at his office and I had shorts and t-shirts on I was a fitness trainer at the time and he says to me uh, I'm quite interested in this health and well-being stuff that you do we've got 166 people here what do you think you could do for us so I talked about one-to-one -one health and well-being coaching and seminars and fitness classes and all this different stuff. He was like, right, okay, it sounds great, but we need to ask the people if they're interested. He said, can you come in next Tuesday and do a talk? He said, I'll shut the factory down, 166 people, and just do a talk. I'll give you an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm thinking, what am I going to do for an hour? <laughs> yeah. you know, what am I going to talk about for an hour? So a week later, I come, I still had a shorts, t-shirt, <laughs> trainers on. And he put me in the, in the canteen, beautiful canteen of Pinheiro, and everybody come to the canteen, he gave me an hour to talk about health and well-being. Now, nobody wants to sit and listen for an hour about eating, sleeping, exercise. <laughs> yeah. and I didn't, so I didn't talk about health and well-being once. I told a story about a friend who was hit by a car and left paralyzed from the neck down that went on to represent GB and own his own businesses. And now when kind of adversity comes, that shows the strength of character. So I, I used storytelling to get to engage with me and build a rapport. And at the end, I said, by the way, I'm here to deliver a health and well-being program. If you're interested, sign up on the way out. Yeah. But what they saw from me was somebody that had an energy and a passion to help people. Mm. When I told them about my friend that was 26 and was hit by a car and left paralyzed, but then didn't give up and went on to achieve great things and still is now, they was inspired by what can be achieved with such little help, yeah. such little resource. And I think they were thinking, why don't I make the most of what I've got? So the managing director said to me, right, 166 people, I think it'll be a success if we have 25 people sign up. I 
was like 25. I'm not signing up. Like 25. He was like, that'd be a huge success. So we did the tour, and as we walk in, he's like reading, collecting the numbers. There was 96 people wow. signed up. Yeah. And what was exciting for me was like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow, 96 people want some help. Yeah. And that's gone on for the last seven years. Right. Um, we've worked with likes of EDF Energy. They're obviously a worldwide brand doing exactly the same, empowering people to live healthier lifestyle, empowering people to perform better in life, and then the knock-on effect is in work. Um, Travelex, who are one of the biggest in the world for money exchange, we run leadership programs, performance coaching for them. Um, PKF Cooper Parry, who you guys remind me of them, different industry, but very entrepreneurial, very driven, very hungry to provide a great culture for the people to the point we've got a running track now running your offices so they're the types next of on the checklist isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're the types of companies that we're attracting because i think companies look at what what's the difference that makes the difference mm. uh, and we spoke about this earlier where sports teams from my background with sports teams sports teams had somebody that was in psychology somebody that was a massage therapist they had a nutritionist but businesses is the same goal as a, as a sports company to win. Yeah. It's the same, you're a team wanting to win, but you don't have anything. Yeah. So when companies start to find a gap, which is providing something for your people to take their performance in life to the next level, you're going to see business growth. Yeah. It, it's not a myth, it's a fact. Yeah. It will, if you invest in your people in the right areas, you'll see business growth. So um, for me, what's been powerful is businesses are investing it year in, year out yeah. because it's free. Yeah, no, exactly. it's the return of investments. It's a no-brainer. What's really interesting to me is what I think's obviously what underpins every company is the same. You need people who are coming to work switched on and passionate and um, energized. Mm -hmm. I think what's probably not unique in marketing, but I think what's interesting in marketing at the moment is the speed of change. So what we knew five years ago is redundant. We've got to be very self-starter and self-learning. How, how, do, how do you think people, and we've got people who, who, who are amazing at doing that. I mean, Paul and Andrew are um, great examples of people who come and learn this industry and keep learning to stay on the top. What's it, how do you think you get people motivated to stay at the top? So if you're an in-house marketing manager now, you, you, your career's okay, but you want to go to the next level, I believe the only reason the way you're going to do that is self-learning and continually self-learning. Mm. How, how do they get that drive or where do they get it from? I imagine it comes much deeper than just being passionate about marketing. So I believe in anything, whether it's marketing or any kind of line of work, if you love what you do and you're passionate, you want to be the best at it, you'll keep, you don't have that nine to five mindset. So the best of the best don't finish and start at a time. No. They're constantly learning and growing and developing. Um, someone, I can't remember who it was now, said it's not what you do between nine and five that counts, it's what you do between five and midnight. Mm -hmm. Because if every night you work between five and midnight, learning, developing, just think how much more of an animal you've become, you've become mm -hmm. relentless. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's the person that just switches off. I don't think they're actually into what they do that much. No. Or they've not found the kind of real purpose behind what they do. Yeah. Whether it's they don't buy into the culture of the organisation, they don't buy into where the company's going. They feel distracted from the company, they feel left out, they feel ignored. So their way of not kind of pulling along is to just pull away a little bit yeah. and it drops their motivation. Uh, motivation comes from within yeah. and um, I always believe that you, I believe I could motivate anybody. Yeah. 
I really believe that. I used to think I can't help people if they don't want to be helped. But I don't yeah. think that's true. I think you can help anybody. You've just got to find the leverage to help that person. Yeah. So if somebody is plotting and you find some leverage, which is, would you want your son to be a plotter? Yeah. Well, no, 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 I want my son to be. Okay, so what kind of role model are you? All of a sudden, the guilt trip. You've got to find leverage sometimes. You've got to find the leverage. So I think for anybody to go to the next level, they've got to love what they do, to yeah. put the hours in. Got to be passionate. They've got to be addicted to it in a way that they're just kind of obsessed of learning and growing yeah. um, to the point that they feel guilty when they're not putting the effort in. And that's not to say they work 24 hours a day, yeah. but if your mind's always thinking and thinking, you get more excited about what you do yeah. and you see the results and the results are great. I mean, without going too deep on the podcast today, because it's not normally our style, but what, what, why, why do you guys keep learning about inbound and what drives you? I was just thinking about then comparing it to old jobs that I've had. So I used to be a QS in construction, mm-hmm. uh, just stumbled into it out of sick form and hated it. But did it to get a free degree and it was a good job and there was money at when you were qualified and all that stuff that you're interested in when you're 18. Mm-hmm. But looking back now, um, that my motivation was through the floor and what will keep you going doing your job was just your professional pride and motivation <laughs> to just be not doing a bad job for somebody yeah, yeah, who's paying yeah. you. But then when you flip that to when I was writing and teaching and obviously now marketing, that is a completely different drive because you love what you're doing and stacked out at the minute and busy and you, but every task you're doing is that you're enjoying so yeah. that's the big difference great. Um, it's just enjoying the task that you're doing as well if, if you're lucky i think if you can find that yeah um, you're very very you've got to find it you've got to find it you got it i think it's wrong um i think it's wrong to be doing something that you don't enjoy because you, your life's disappearing in front of your own eyes you know we spoke about you didn't you you know been in a, a corporate world for so many years that you actually don't want to be in, but you're just in it. You're yeah. not sure about to get out of it, so you just carry on. And there's two ways. Well, when as I've gone through that career change, young and like say again a bit deep, but it does make you miserable spending mm. 40 plus hours a week doing something that you yeah. don't enjoy. So you've got two attitudes. You need to find your motivation somewhere else. I've got family members who write off that 40 hours yeah. as a way of paying the bills, yeah. and then they motivate to go and do something else in the evening, or they motivate to go. Travel every yeah, other weekend yeah. or something. Um, but so then that, but you think with that though, that like I hear loads of people saying, "I've only got ten years left." You know, <laughs> someone's working towards retirement. Yeah. I've only got, and I'm like, ten years, <laughs> and they're really unhappy. But they're working towards that retirement, yeah. unhappy for forty hours a week. Although mm. what they'll do is they'll say, "Well, that brings me happiness in other areas," yeah, like yeah. you're saying. And my, my challenge to that is, imagine if you could find something that you did for 40 hours that you enjoyed. Yeah. You'd now have every hour of your day enjoying what you do. I think you go back to that first point that we don't, a lot of people don't think that you're allowed to go and do that. Yeah. A job's a job. Yeah. You yeah. You've got a job and that's that. Take away. That's that. 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 That's very often, um, all I would hear was, well, it pays the bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you hear, yeah. I do it to pay the bills. So then you grow up thinking, all I've got to do is pay the bills. But what yeah. about doing things that you enjoy on yeah. top of it? But you didn't have that because there was only enough money to pay the bills. And one of the, I think one of the biggest drivers for me, and it's something that's always stuck with me, is when my mum just always said to me, whatever you do, don't live your life like us. <laughs> you know, I know that sounds like, like, deep and, and quite painful, yeah. but my mum used to say, Luke, whatever you do, do not live your life like us, because
because we had no money, we couldn't go on holidays. Um, you know, my dad from the age of 30 couldn't work from, from sickness. My mum was a cook and a cleaner, so we had no money. You know, walking to school an hour and back, football mm. boots, I got to play at Wembley Stadium when I was 10 in a six-a-side tournament, and all the kids were getting bought brand new football boots, and mine had a hole in. And my dad said, because it was the end of the season, he didn't want to buy me a new pair, so I'd grown out of them by next season. So he taped them up with black masking tape. So, and he taped them up, and my left foot had this black masking tape. And all, you can imagine all your pals taking them in. But the lesson behind it was great, and that lesson took me, like, I still feel that kind of characteristic now that he gave me. It was like, you don't need the new boots. No, they don't make a difference. You, you used to say to me, it's not the tools, it's the person in them. Yeah. And, and I was like, do you know what? I don't need new boots. I can yeah. do it. And I went out and scored two goals, and I got player of the tournament. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it was like, I was not happy at the time, so I had black masking tape around the boot. But it gave me that character of, no matter how tough things get, there's always a way. Yeah. You, you know, you don't need stuff. You can make the best of what you've got. Yeah. And that's what I did, and I think that I think my upbringing, my parents being quite hard on me like that, to the point of when if when I was a youngster, I might win a, a trophy that would be most improved player of the year, and I'll be super buzzing with that. And I get in the car, my dad would say, "But you must have been rubbish to start with, son." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, "Gosh, that's yeah, awesome!" That's gosh. So now I'm like, "Right, okay." So he said, "When you start to win players' player of the year and manager's player, that's when you can celebrate." Winning most improved, it just means you were rubbish and now you're okay. And I was like, yeah, maybe it does. But, but I remember them moments, and them moments gave me the drive to keep proving people wrong. Sometimes what it does on the, on the downside is you never enjoy the moment because you're always looking at what's next. So I think I've spent many years of my life achieving something, not celebrating it, and just looking at what's next all the time. And never really enjoying the experience in the moment because... I was scared to in case I was being complacent, so you're looking at what's next. So there's a downside to that one uh, mentality. Uh, no. I mean, one of the things we, the way we try and interview now is to try and, we want people who love what they do and are passionate about it and want to self-learn, and we fell into a few pitfalls with that earlier with the crew, but now we ask a lot about who would you follow on Twitter, mm -hmm. who are your influencers, how, how, yeah, I mean, you ask out, right, what's your passion, yeah, which I think is great, I don't ask people that, but yeah. you know, why not, yeah. right, it's great, um, yeah, how, how do you learn and stuff, and when you see people stumbling around, like, how do you learn, you can tell when someone's not into it, or someone will go, like, yeah. I love Gary Vee, or oh. other, like, people who are really influencing online, or Rand, or someone like that, and you can tell they love it, mm. I think that's made a, made a big difference when we've been interviewing, it's, Cut people down a lot and made it slower to hire, but I think when we get there, we'll find the people who love what they do. It's quicker in the long run, though, isn't it? It is, yeah, because they're going to stay at it and enjoy it. Definitely. I mean, we've chatted about this. In our industry, we have to make a lot of mistakes. Technology is that quick, and we have to make a lot of mistakes in marketing, social media, PPC, and our heads go down sometimes, mm -hmm. don't we? We've spoke about it. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you handle that? Just well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you just got to think that. We, we, we are the experts in the industry and the whole industry is, you know, chopping and changing and wriggling through what what's right and wrong thing to do. I think it's just the attitude and the approach to, we know there's problems there to be fixed and that's why we do what we do and that's what the clients have. We're trying to solve problems really at the end of the day and you've got to find out the right way and I think, yeah, like you say, the, the approach and the attitude to that and being motivated and enjoying marketing and enjoying those problems, you've got to find some weird, slightly yeah. sick enjoyment in like, like these problems that headaches yeah. and uh, don't always go 100% right but you eventually you work through as a team and get there.
think one of the big learnings when we went to to the US recently and they talked we talked about how they market themselves they they were uh, we, we met the CMO Kip and he was saying if they if they don't waste eighty percent of their budget they're leaving a lot on the table so they're looking at like we're not really pushing the boundaries and finding out getting in things first or finding things that don't work we're leaving a lot on the table found that really and we were both shocked when they said eight percent of their marketing budget just like wasted and that that budget like hundreds of millions so they probably got money to waste to be fair but that really shocked us because from an agency perspective you're looking at clients like every pound counts yeah. and you've got to you've got to make that ROI on every pound to keep keep it going and I think that's maybe the difference between some major high growth companies investment based companies I think looking at what yeah. is the return you know is it just profit or is it learning is it yeah. development is it expansion and just yeah our own market is the easiest one to go with. yeah it'd be a tricky one selling that to a client I can imagine yeah. but you know, return is learning and getting better and, and fine tuning. So I can see why they do that. I we have like, I have that conversation with AdWords. So um, with AdWords, I say what you need to do is we can we can do all the research you'll ever want to do around PPC. We can find out the keywords. We can look at estimate conversion rates. But the only way you're going to know if something works for you is to test it. Mm. So you've got to go whether you like it or not with AdWords. You've got to put your products and services on it. You've got to throw some money at it, and we call it a burn period, which people probably don't like it if it's their money, but you've got to go through that period when you're looking at paid to find out what does work, what does get traction. And basically all you're doing that period is paying the data. Mm. You're paying to find out what does and doesn't work. But once you've gone through that, you've paid, you know where to double down on yeah. and you know what to cut out. But without investing and failing forward or whatever you want to call it, you will never get to that point where you know what works and what doesn't. Um, I always like it to people that, I say to people, why do you watch a film? And you know, they watch the film to see what happens at the end. But you don't know what the end is until you watch the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So until you start something, you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you're watching it with the best intentions that you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And if you've watched it for two hours and it wasn't great, you then watch a different one. Yeah. I think that's the same with marketing or whatever you do. Yeah. My, my life was about becoming a football player. That was the goal at the beginning, that was a dream, I had a purpose, I was passionate. Mm -hmm. I got so far and then it stopped. Things changed for me and I went through a kind of awful area of adversity, challenging, real challenging time of life, but then I just found something else. So it didn't work, go on to something else. It's the same with marketing, it's yeah. the same with going to the gym. You put the weights on the squat rack and you can't get up, you take the weight off and you try again with a lighter weight. Yeah, exactly. You just find a different way. Yeah. And I think that people become too fixated on short-term success in anything, yeah. whether it's investment, whether it's marketing, whether it's going to the gym. If you don't lose weight in a week, they quit. Yeah. Like, you know, it took you 20 years to put four stone on, you're not going to lose it in a week. Yeah. I once, when I was a personal trainer, actually a lady trained me three times and said she was going to quit because she hadn't lost any weight. It was three <laughs> times in three days. I'm like, give me a chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're 45 years of age, you've lived a lifestyle. Yeah. However, the mentality was short-term fix. Yeah. And I think the world becomes obsessed with short-term wins. It's definitely it's a challenge we have. That's the chat before the podcast where we were talking about your program being 12 months. Yeah. It's similar with our program. An inbound program can be 12 months. People want the quick wins. Yeah. Month one. Yeah. Slamming, you get many wins within the big win, yeah. Yeah. but you've got to adapt along the way because there's no, I'm yet to meet one person yet that's become a short-term success. Yeah. And if they have, where are they in five years and not usually anywhere, it's like yeah. growth of hard work. The favorite story I tell that relates to that is, is what's in my, my pack there is about the bamboo. The farmer plants the bamboo seed, 
and, and every day he goes out waiting for it to break through the ground and his wife's giving him grief because the bamboo's not come through the ground yet. Yeah. So he does this for a week, a month, three months, six months, but every day he nurtures it, he waters it, he feeds it. Yeah. Every day he shows dedication, consistency and perseverance and he keeps feeding the field. A year goes by, still nothing's come through the ground. Like, what would most people do? They'd quit, yeah. they'd gone to something else, but he believed in it so he kept going. Five years passes, Still nothing's come through the ground. So you can imagine going over to his wife, his wife's yeah. like, why don't you just do something different? It's like, no, because I believe the bamboo will come through the ground. Yeah. Then after five years, next day the bamboo comes through the ground, and in six weeks it grows 95 foot tall. This is a fact. This, yeah. is, a, this is a fact. In five, in five, six weeks it grows 95 feet tall. And then I say to people, so how long did the bamboo grow, take to grow 95 feet tall? And they'll go, five six weeks I'm like no it was five years yeah. it's five six weeks because that was the foundation he was dedicated consistent and he was persevered when his wife was in his ear to do something different and i think i relate that to so many people that i work with in sport business or relation in anything that we quit too quick because mm -hmm. if we really believe in something and we've got the plan to back it up why not keep going mm -hmm. but because Five years, imagine five years getting up every morning, watering a field with nothing happening. Yeah. You know, millions would have stopped. He kept going and then the growth was just exponential. And to the point now when I tell this story, I give people a bamboo stick. <laughs> and our people now, six months, twelve months, two years later, sending me photographs where their bamboo is on their wall awesome. and they've now gone on to achieve a goal or a dream that they weren't going to do before because they thought they was too old, yeah. too late, I ain't got time. You know, guys in the mid-thirties have thought, well, I'm doing what I do now and that's it. Now I've gone off to do other stuff. It's amazing. I'm going to cut that and that's gone on the homepage of our website. That's the analogy for inbound marketing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. we, we always go through this stage where you, you end up saying to a lot of people, just yeah. hold your nerve at six months. And mm. just hold your nerve. You, you, you're on the precipice of it, however you say that word, but you're, you're so close to it, it happening. And, We've got all the charts and all the clients where the, cur the curves are like that. It's exactly the story of the bamboo, isn't it? They'll break through the ground. Yeah, exactly. When they do, when it's like that, first, I guess when you first start your business, you get one customer and then yeah. you get 10 and 30 and 50. Yeah. But to get that one, it's hard. Yeah. You've got to start. I remember when I first started doing a fitness instructor many years ago, I set up this circuit class. I was really excited about it. I expected 50 people to come. One guy turned up actually worked there, so it was free. <laughs> so I didn't get paid anyway. So I went on a Friday night, set it all up, planning it for all these 50 people. Saturday rocked up, one guy turns up because he owned a gym, he was free. And he was like, Do you still want to do it? I was like, Definitely. You turn up, I'm going to give you my best. So I gave him my best within four or five weeks, I had 50 people. Yeah. Because that shows just keep going, but keep going. Yeah. The first seminar I delivered, two or three people. Yeah. Do you still want to do it? Yeah. Definitely. Because I'll make a difference to you three that will tell 10 that's three, and next time I'll have hundreds. Yeah. And that's just what's happened. Yeah. And, and it's that bamboo, and I always tell myself that all the time. I'm going to break through the ground, and when I do, I'm just going to explode. Yeah. And I haven't exploded yet, because I don't think when you're hungry for success, you ever do. You just you, you you think keep, going going and, uh, keep going, don't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's a, that's a great analogy for how it works. And we have to have that conversation a lot of times. So I think if you start listening to this and you're trying to pitch inbound to your boss, and you've got to have that awkward conversation around the six, the nine, mm -hmm. the 12 months, which your boss doesn't want to hear. They want the quick wins, mm -hmm. they want the PPC, they want everything to happen tomorrow. I think having, having analogies like that, I mean, you use them a lot, don't you, analogies, but having some good analogies like that does help relate, yeah. relate the situation. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Do you I don't know how long goes on. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Pretty use that next time. Yeah. It's got a good story around it as well. Yeah, my analogies don't. Very quick and sharp. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you hold them back a little bit, so there's, a, there's an ending to them. That then leads us on. I mean, Paul's got some questions in there, but it leads us on to limiting beliefs. So yeah. the last two talks we've done, we've just done a webinar, and the last podcast is all about video marketing and podcasting. And we didn't realise we built the slide deck. A lot of them is about the psychology of mm -hmm. fear of camera, fear of judgment, getting on camera. And how, how can these guys overcome yeah. such things as getting on camera now and doing this? Because you just walked in, you're so relaxed, you're so relaxed, you said yes straight away, not an issue. We've had other guests on the show who are really high flying as well. Yeah. I mean, you can see them climb up a little bit. It's, it's, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. What advice could you give the viewers? So, so it's, it's, it's a really interesting question because I honestly believe that you can fake it till you make it. Yeah. And I really believe that because I don't come in here super comfortable to sit in front of four people, four cameras, do a podcast that's going to go for thousands of people. Yeah. I put myself in the right frame of mind to be comfortable, yeah. to deliver the best. <laughs> so, so I come in and, and, and I'm not scared or fear of it, I'm nervous. I'm excited, I feel the adrenaline of when I was a sportsman again because I want to do a great job because I know how many people it could influence. So I always want to perform to my best but what I can do is I can walk into any environment and just click my fingers and be the best I can be because I lose all fears of what people think and the inhibitions and what if I don't say the right thing. Where many years ago and I'll do it, what if the words don't come out right? What if I forget what I'm saying? What if it's recorded and it gets posted and somebody criticises it? I've gone past bothering about that because the amount of people that do enjoy it, for the odd one that wants to criticise, it's totally, it's, yeah. it's a different balance. So to help that kind of mindset, for me, it's just a real strategy in your mind of create the image of who you want to be in that moment. Tell yourself you're that person <laughs> and just go and fake it. Yeah. And then you sit there and actually you're enjoying who you are. Yeah. And then you're like, actually, I was pretty good there. <laughs> the first time I stood on stage, I, had to, I, I took myself back to when I was a footballer. I was thinking, how can I stand on stage and feel powerful and exciting and dynamic? When have I ever felt like that? The only time I'd ever felt like that was when I was a football player, when I would be in that game and it was like heat of the moment and you're flying to tackles. That's when I felt at my best. So I just thought about the best games that I ever ran, about how I felt, felt that feeling, mm -hmm. held that feeling, and I walked out to that stage like it was a football field. Yeah. It was my arena, and I owned that arena again. My dad always used to say to me before every football match, you stand there, you look at your opponents, and you just think, I'm going to take you down. <laughs> First chance You're a dead player then. Yeah, I was just tough. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just wanted to win, and my dad always said, Luke, because you're so small, you've got to take them out. So I would be like, He's, I'm going to take him out the first chance that I get. So when I stand on the stage, I don't look at the audience and think I'm going to take him out. But I stand there with the same energy that I'm here because I'm here. I deserve to be here. And I tell myself that much that I deserve to be there. And a lot of it's just self-talk and not true. <laughs> but who cares? Because if it means you perform in the moment, it gets you through what you're going to do. Um, but for people that really have that kind of fear of doing it, there's so many strategies that you can develop. Think of a time when you are comfortable. So when is the most comfortable time when you feel confident, most relaxed? Go to that place in your mind, go to that place before you're about to do something you're uncomfortable with, draw a circle of where you're gonna sit or where you're gonna stand, and within that circle you're gonna allow yourself to feel like that. And then when you sit in it or you stand there, you're thinking of whether it's your child on a holiday or whatever it was, and it just brings you down. 
and always think of the reason why you're doing it. And so you made a good point. You're looking at problem solving because of the end outcome. So when things are tough, you're always looking at the light at the end. Why am I doing this? Is to get to the end of where the light's going to shine. So if you're going to be uncomfortable for 20 minutes to do a talk on camera, just think that where that could take your business, it could help the people in front yeah. of you, and that's usually more powerful than shying away from doing it. That's ultimately what got me to do this eventually. Mm. With I do another video series, mm. and what got me to, to try and get this together and do it was ultimately fear of judgment. And everything was so great, but what was greater is that in five years' time, if we don't do this, we're going to be pretty irrelevant. Mm. Like, this is the way marketing's going, and if we don't do this, the the, the, the other outcomes worse. And obviously the positive out outcome of it is we can influence a lot of people, we can yeah. be early adopters and we can be there so that when other people are in our space, they're behind us already. So that's where, that's where I got the You've got leverage on yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Really, if you didn't have to do it, no, you wouldn't have no, done it. Exactly. But you get to that point where you just have to, yeah. or the fear of what could happen if you don't yeah. is so concerning that it makes you do it. Yeah. And I was working with a professional football club last night and I just took I'll, I'll share this story with you because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about on limiting beliefs and when your back's to the wall of the things that you do because you wouldn't have gone into doing the public speaking and podcasting if you didn't know the importance behind it. Mm -hmm. So these two boys, you may have seen this on my social media, but two boys, it's a true story, 25 years ago two boys set off a school, 11 year old and a 9 year old boy and every day they used to walk to school down the canal bank. This particular morning, it was December, it was all icy and, and, and cold. So as the boys set off for school, the mother turns around to the two boys and says, boys, whatever you do, do not go on the ice. I mean, what happens when someone tells you to do something? <laughs> like, you do it. You see wet paint, do not touch it, touch it, or boiling up plate, and waiter puts down, don't touch it, it's red hot. When no one's looking, you just have to check it. <laughs> yeah. So she says to the 11 year old, 9 year old, do not go on the ice. Two boys off set off for school. And as they're walking down the canal, they get the football out and start passing the ball backwards and forwards. And this particular pass changed their life forever. The pass went under the little boy's foot and the ball rolled onto the far side of the canal. So now you've got the nine-year-old boy stood there next to him is his 11-year-old brother. The 11-year-old looks at the ball and he says, I'll fetch it. So the nine-year-old looks at the 11-year-old and starts getting really scared and says, don't fetch it because if that ice breaks, we're in trouble. So the 11-year-old says, it's fine, I'll do it. So he gets onto the ice and he steps on. And at first, the ice is like pretty solid around the outside and he's okay, and he gets further and further and further. But the 11 year old boy gets to the middle of the ice and he starts to brace himself because he feels something shifting. The nine year old boy, before he has a chance to tell him, he goes straight through the ice. So now you've got a nine year old boy still on his own, screaming and crying with fear. His brother's gone through the ice, what does he do? He sprints onto the ice himself and he starts trying to break through the ice with his own hands and he's punching and he's screaming and he just cannot get through the ice. So he runs off the ice, he runs to a tree, he tries to break down a branch to break through the ice with a stick. He breaks down, he jumps up on the branch, just won't break. He falls to the ground, he looks back to the ice, and he starts to realise what the consequences are if he doesn't break through the ice. Jumps back up on the tree, swinging on the branch for a second time, he falls down again. And this time he looks back and he sees less movement under the ice from his older brother. So now what's happening is he's getting more intense about what he's doing jumps on the branch, breaks down the branch, eventually runs to the ice, <coughs> smashes through the ice with the stick, enough space to be able to pull the ice out, prods his brother, who's not moving so much anymore, he's prodding him with the stick, his older brother grabs the stick, he pulls him onto the ice, and he drags him all the way to the canal back. It's a nine-year-old boy for his 11-year-old big brother. Gets him to the side, by now everyone had arrived, paramedics and people was now watching. 
So to wrap up the boy in towels, everything was okay, everything was fine with the big brother. And the paramedic, and, and this for me is like, what we're talking about now, it all comes down to kind of these few words. So the paramedic says to the other paramedic, he says, how is that possible? How does a nine-year-old boy break down a tree, smash through the ice, and pull his 11-year-old brother to safety? And the other paramedic replies, I've got no idea. He's look at the size of him, he's <laughs> tiny. So then this old guy that had arrived stood just walking the dog. He shouts across to the paramedics and he says, I know how he did it. So the paramedics turn to the old guy and go, how is nine? He broke down a branch, smashed through the ice, he saved an 11-year-old brother. How does a nine-year-old boy that's so small and scrawny do that? And the old man says it was because, it was because, I'll tell you that bit at the end, actually. Uh, we'll come back to that bit. You've got us twice. <laughs> I actually told you what the headmaster said, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, I do that. Yeah. Okay, we'll finish on that as a we'll last bit. <laughs> I think you have some more questions, Paul, regarding speaking. Yeah, just about the process. Of, um, obviously, you've got public speaking, you've, you've exposed one trick. Yeah, yeah. I uh, just wondering what your process is before uh, you do a talk, like the one Ricky and I watched a few weeks ago. Yeah, obviously it was all off the cuff. It felt very natural. Is it rehearsed? Is it, is it the same talk? Just watch your process for public speaking, really. So I always start with what's the outcome. So whatever it is, coming here today to meet you guys, whoever I meet, it's what's the outcome of why am I going there? What am I looking to achieve? What's the outcome? So the outcome of doing the talk, it could be a number of different things. It can to be promote a new program. It can be to inspire children in front of you. What is the outcome? From the outcome, I work back. Mm. How am I going to do that? How am I going to achieve that outcome in the time that I've got? What's the best content to use within that or to achieve the outcome? Now, I, I have multiple stories that I use depending what message I want to get across, whether it's limiting belief, confidence, adversity, challenge, fear. So people in the audience are going to relate to the stories. When people in the audience relate to the stories, they feel like you're talking to them and then you've got them. Mm. And it's like I'm telling you guys a story about the ice and you're like, what, what happens? <laughs> you've got them. Because then you can get the outcome that you want is where it might be them achieving to leave with something that they go on to achieve something greater or, or purchasing a program that you believe is going to change their life forever, whatever it is. So start with the outcome and work back. Mm. It's like a business starting, what's the goal, what's it looking to do and then how are we going to do it? So I, I, I work hours before a talk more on a kind of getting my energy right, getting the mental side right and I literally just bullet point the stories that I want to tell and very rarely I stick to it. <laughs> so I will start, but I'll see a reaction in an area that's inspiring and I'll go down that route. So I guess I have different go-to stories at any moment to bring out at the right time. But I follow a kind of a script to make sure I achieve my outcome. Sometimes that script changes. But I could put for a 45-minute talk, very rarely I deliver the same talk twice because for my own energy I want to keep creating new content. So I might take one story out and put a new one in, yeah. but the same kind of tempo of talk. Um, for me it's getting the right energy level. So like last night I delivered a talk to Millwall Football Club. I was waiting four hours to deliver it because they was held up in traffic. So I'm up for it, I'm ready, and then I'm yeah. down again. And then it becomes, we didn't start till 9 o'clock till 11 p.m. at night. So all of a sudden you've got to be ready for that. You've got to perform. I've driven four hours, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. so, 
it's how it, it's getting back to that. My outcome is to achieve that. I've got to do everything I can to achieve it. So you've got to have a script mm. of content, bullet points. But if you're reading from a script, it's not real. People yeah. don't buy into it. We've talked a lot about that in terms of how we've gone about doing this, and we've we've fell on the what we call semi-scripted route, which is what we're doing today. We've got maybe five or six things we wanted to come and talk about, mm. but everything that happens around them is just off the cuff and the conversation yeah. goes mm. the way it went. When we did scripted, we'd end the end up talking stupid yeah. and um, slow or however you react to a script. When you go completely unscripted, you end up just waffling in a room yeah, for yeah. Especially when you <laughs> stick us for and say talk about marketing, yeah. however you want for it half an hour, yeah. you go anywhere. So yeah, yeah. I think about the script, yeah. Yeah. the outcome focused, create the content to create to, to achieve the outcome um, and I go over it that many times in my mind I feel like I know what I'm going to do when I'm there because I'm a big fan of visualization so if I'm going to do a talk I'm already imagining delivering that talk days before sometimes I might be delivering four or five in a week so it's like on the day of, I'm now right what's this talk going to look like as soon as I've done that one I'm on to what I'm going to talk about what's the next one look like yeah. so it's visualizing doing it that when you're there you feel like you've already delivered it that it's comfortable for you and I love it sometimes you know last night my talk was planned it was a it was a presentation I had planned I turned up, there'd been a mistake, there's no audio, there's no computers, there's no nothing. We did it in a canteen. So very fast, you've got to change everything that you've planned yeah. and, and quickly do something different. I think that's with experience that you can do that. Yeah, yeah. 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 like the visualisation thing as well. Yeah. It works in a lot of areas like before an interview or a big meeting or Agreed. a match or something. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I would, I would say back, back to an earlier question that you said, how do you help somebody that's uncomfortable with public speaking or doing kind of interviews, visualising that many times that you feel comfortable that you've already done it. Because yeah. when you've already been there and you've already done it, it's like, well, I've done this, so I'm alright. All the time. Yeah. I think Muhammad Ali was the greatest ever at it. He said he used to visualise every round of every punch. So when the punch comes, you knew where it was going to move. Rather than standing there and the punch comes and you're like, where do I move? It already moved in his dreams and his thoughts. So you, your thoughts become so powerful, you, you trick yourself to that you've actually already done it. So the public speaking, you've already done it. I'm thinking ahead of the questions. Correct. Isn't it? If you think ahead of what questions might come up after, mm. you've already prepared a little bit. Yeah. Or you've prepared for one similar. So. And I think it's also being, just, just knowing what you need to know you know, I wouldn't stand up and talk about maths or English <laughs> because I'd get found out. Yeah. So I'm comfortable when I'm stood there that if anybody puts a hand up to ask something, I will know, I know my area. And if they ask yeah. something out of it, I'm confident enough to go, That's I, I, I can't go there because I don't really know. Yeah. If you ask me how to become a, a, a super phenomenal marketer, I'd like to ask Ricky or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me how do you go from there to there I'll be able to tell you I yeah. believe you can do it so it's stick to what you know and be confident in your arena because you get questions that you can't script for no. so when the question comes you've got to be able to respond in a way that's the best of your ability but that's knowing your craft yeah. and being so passionate with the self learning developing that someone throws a question you're ready because you just it's there you know you, you believe in what you do it's ready for that yeah. Yeah, how do you stop you know, the monkey mind, the chimp mind, the negative thoughts? Mm. So we're in front of an audience now and suddenly this little chimp kicks in and goes, what if they laugh at me? What if they yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you stop that stuff from? Well, very very early on, yeah, that happened to me quite a lot. And there was a guy, I was delivering a talk at EDF Energy and they asked me to do a 15 minute motivational talk before their CEO would come and do an update. 
But what I didn't realise is it was 350 guys that didn't want to be there. There's only there because they got a bacon sandwich and a cup of tea. This is true. So this guy called Andy Richardson, who's in Australia now, fantastic leader. So he says, right, Luke, come and do 15 minutes at the beginning. Just, just break the ice a little bit, and then I'll come and do my bit. And they don't really want to listen to you, but they're there, you know, they're there to, to listen to the CEO. So I turn up, and this guy's not even looking at me. Looking the wrong way, hard hats, overalls. And there's this one guy sat at the front, and this, this answers the question in, in a story format is, this guy sat looking at me right at the front, and he looked like he wanted to kill me. <laughs> and I'm not, honestly, he was sat, arms folded, and he sat there, he's about five foot, and he's staring at me like he wants to kill me. He's looking at me like a rugby player that he's going to attack. And, I, and all I kept doing was, was delivering my talk, and then he kept, I kept catching his arm <laughs> and thinking, he's hating everything that I'm saying. Really, and then it would take me off, and I would have that this thing going well, <laughs> and then I would get into it again. I'd just catch him staring at me like he was going to just attack me at any moment. So I delivered this 15 minute talk. The CEO comes up, he does his thing, and he goes, I'd like to thank Luke for coming in and doing his 15 minute talk. Um, and everybody claps as they do, and then all of a sudden, this guy walks up to me from the front and he puts his hand out and goes, Thanks for that, it was brilliant. Yeah, you perceived it. And I, I was mind reading, so I think one of the biggest causes of personal issues with work colleagues, friends, family, loved ones, uh, public speaking is mind reading when it's, you've got no evidence of it. No. I thought he was going to kill me and he was just focused. <laughs> he was focused. I had it another time when I had, an, I had an inferior, I think because of my lack of education growing up, I got asked to do a talk at the university to 200 lecturers. Straight away I had that how can I talk to them because I've not got a PhD, I'm not a doctor, and I'm talking to professors around mindset, motivation, of how to inspire students. How are they going to listen to me? Someone's going to put a hand up and go, what qualifications have you got? <laughs> and, and I had that fear. So I turned up and I was like, right, breakthrough. So I turned up and I'm doing the talk. Two guys kept talking as I was talking, and all I was thinking was, they're saying, who is this guy? He's yeah. shocking. What does he know? That was all the, the fears that I had inside. Mm -hmm. I thought they was doing that. And at the end, these two guys put their hands up and went, do you know what, as you was talking, we was discussing the amount, of, the differences we'll make to students' lives will be unbelievable. And we'd like to come and shadow and watch what you do. So I was like, I'm getting this wrong. So my own little kind of negative uh, doubt is, is making me think that they're saying things that they're not. So I just stopped mind reading. Instead of that happening now, I think, they're talking about how brilliant I am. So it pumps me up even more to get more excited. Even if they're not, it does me no good by thinking that they're not, because no. they're never going to tell you. No. So mind reading, what will people think when they watch this video? What will they say when they hit? It's like, don't worry about it. Just, just, yeah. just break it's through it. Yeah, so I sat down, I think the first thought we did with two girls laughing on the front row, it's completely put me out. The end of the space in the screen, just really <laughs> 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 It could have been anything. Oh, yeah, of course it could. But you've thought about it, this guy. It could be money over your jokes, man. I know we all relate to that story. We all do it, don't we? But we've got to wrap up now. So can you finish finish the story off then? Which one was the ice one? So the ice one, yeah, so the boy breaks through the ice, he pulls into safety, and the paramedic says to the other paramedic, how has he done it? And the old guy shouts, it was because. Um, it was because, and the paramedic's like waiting for the answer, and the old guy just goes, because there was nobody there to tell him he couldn't. Yeah. 
There was nobody there to tell him he couldn't. 85% of people I'd worked with in 2016, young people between 11 and 18, when I asked the question, have you ever had someone that squashed a dream or a hope or changed your direction? 85% of them say it's through a parent, a loved one, a friend or a family member. Because our family and friends love us and they want to protect us. So sometimes it's easy to keep you safe by keeping you in your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So quite often our dreams, hopes and goals are squashed by the people closest to us because they care about us the most. Not because they don't want us to do well, they're just scared of what happens if it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. The fear of failing scares people of actually having a go. So when I hear that, it's like, wow. So the story about the guy that says there's nobody there to tell him he couldn't, he had no choice. Mm -hmm. I think you said earlier, the reason I told that story is because you talked about doing podcasts and video. Yeah. You didn't want to do it because of the fear of what people would think. Yeah. You had no choice, so you did it. Yeah. If that nine-year-old boy hadn't done that, his brother would have died. The purpose was so intense, yeah. he had to do it. So there was no choice. Yeah. And I think when you develop that mentality that you have to do it, you just got to do it, it happens. And until you create that own inner desire and purpose, you know, why would you? He wouldn't break through the ice if his brother weren't under it. No. You wouldn't have done your podcast and yeah. video if you didn't believe it would take your company to another level. It gives yeah. your company a, a, a better platform. Exactly. So you've got to create a purpose and a passion behind it. And the fear of failing should never stop you. Yeah. That's a pretty, uh, pretty happy place to end, really. Where can people find you? Maybe your website, people can just find a bit more about Yeah, it. yeah, people can find me at uh, www.lukestaton.com. Okay. Um, Instagram at Luke Staten One, same on Twitter or Facebook. I'm on all the platforms, so I'd, I'd love to connect with people there. That's brilliant. Some of them in the show notes, and uh, thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, 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 I enjoyed it too. Great to meet you. Good to have you back. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Leave us some comments. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, thank, you. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. 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 Bye. Bye. Bye.